Once you've found Song of Solomon chapter 8, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading from verse 8 down through verse number 14. And again, the setting here is that they are at their wedding. Uh, Verse 5, they arrive. Verse 6 and 7, they exchange their vows of commitment with each other. And then verse 8, they turn their attention to uh, the bride's little sister. And they start talking about the little sister and how that they need to protect her and help her to be pure uh, moving forward. So verse 8 down through verse 14 is what we'll read and then we'll get into uh, some thoughts after that. The Bible says here uh, the sister, the bride is speaking to her groom. She says, we have a little sister and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day? When she shall be spoken for, if she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with the boards of cedar. I am a wall, and my breasts like towers. That was, uh, then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He let out the vineyard unto keepers, every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, uh, those that keep the fruit thereof, two hundred. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice, cause me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or to a young heart upon the mountain of spices. Again, the title of this Bible study is Teaching... Purity to the next generation. Boy, we need to raise a generation uh, of people who believe in purity. It's becoming something that is a relic of the past. And being clean and pure is out of fashion. And being covered in immoral filth is becoming fashionable and has been for a while. And boy, we need to make an emphasis on purity those that are growing up, and so we'll be looking at that this evening. Let's pray together. Lord, help us as we go through this Bible study and make applications. Uh, Lord, from a time of Hebrew culture to an American culture, a Western culture, Lord, one that is becoming quickly post-Christian and one that's quickly becoming humanistic and even uh, antagonistic toward these views. Lord, help us to understand the importance of purity and not only for ourselves, but teaching them to the next generation. May we all commit to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's jump in with a review of what we've already covered. And if you have a bulletin there, a prayer bulletin on the back, you'll see that all of point one and the subpoints are filled in there for you. And so I'm not going to reteach that lesson, but let's just quickly review Uh, to set the stage for the rest of the Bible study here. Again, in verse number 5, look at verse number 5 with me. It says, Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I raise thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. So they're in their chariot, their rickety farm chariot, and they're showing up for the wedding, and the farm girl has her head upon her groom, and they're showing up for the wedding. And then we get to uh, the point number one in the Bible study, talking about teaching purity to the next generation. We looked at the word commitment. Commitment. We talked about the importance of commitment. Commitment is, uh, uh, is greatly lacking, greatly missing in our society and culture. Folks want to live together without ever officially getting married. And uh, they want to make it easy to break up uh, with uh, uh, no worries or concerns about any sort of divorce papers or lawyers. And they get together with a, uh, an easy plan to break up. And there's a lack of commitment in the culture today when it comes to the marital relationship. And we looked at an A, B, C, D, E, and F quickly here. Notice letter A, commitment is within. Look at verse number 6 with me. He says here, and notice the word heart. Set me as a seal upon thine Heart. Many people make commitments and they're obligatory commitments. Uh, they commit to do something because they were asked. 
but not really because they want to do it. And the best kind of commitment you can make is a commitment that's from the heart. Uh, if you're going to get married, make sure you're truly in love with the person from your heart. You say, well, pastor, do people jump into a marriage without actually being committed in the heart? Oh, it happens all the time, all the time. And listen, whatever you commit to, commit to it with all your heart or don't commit at all. So uh, we see here that commitment is within. Letter B, we see commitment wins. Look back at verse 6 and notice the use of the word seal. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. And then we looked at letter C, the word works, works, commitment works. And look at the word strong. Further down in verse 6, it says, for love is strong as death, is strong as death. We took time to go back into Psalm chapter 1 and we looked at that chapter of Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Uh, And what is verse 1 describing? It's describing those who want to falsely define love as lust. And then verse 2 goes on to talk about be that tree that's planted by the river of water, that bring forth its fruit in its season, its leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. What's that talking about? Once those roots go down deep and that water of the Word of God continues to flow by and, and go past and bring those nutrients, boy, that commitment remains strong. And what you find is love works. It's strong. It's strong as death. And we said letter D, commitment withstands. Look at verse number 7. Many waters cannot... Quench. Notice the word quench. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. We talked about how that marriage is going to be tested and that if you're going to be married for a long, long, long time, you're going to have your ups and you're going to have your downs. You're going to experience joy like you've never experienced it and you're going to experience misery like you've never experienced it. Anyone here that's been married for any length of time knows exactly what I'm talking about, okay? And um, what does love do? It withstands. It withstands. Even when things get tough and you want to kill each other, don't kill each other, amen? That's murder. That'll get you in jail. Uh, But even when you want to kill each other, uh, if you're really committed then uh, that love will withstand those times and you will forbear, you'll make it through. We looked at letter E, commitment is worth it. It's worth it. Look back at verse 7. It says, many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance, substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. And listen, you can take all of the valuables and all the entire world and you can give it to someone and it just doesn't quite uh, substitute what marital love provides and a committed love provides. And when two people are committed to each other, um, uh, at one point, Angel and I had life insurance policies and we, we quickly quit making jokes about killing each other for the money. Amen. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think my, at the time we were really young in our 20s and I think my life insurance policy was worth quarter of a million dollars and I used to look at her and say is my love worth more than a quarter of a million dollars and she would kind of smirk and say I, I think I think it probably is I it uh, depends on what day you're asking uh, but um, um, uh, but listen uh, I don't care what life insurance policy I held on my wife I don't care what money was there if there's true love in that marriage, boy, you want that relationship, you want that commitment more than anything, that uh, any, any material item that could be provided, but it requires commitment. And then we said letter F, commitment is wonderful. It is wonderful. And we need more commitment in the world. You say, well, pastor, I'm not married. How does that apply to me? Be committed to whatever you do. Be committed to whatever you do. The very last point I drew out here is just that uh, many people are willing to run off a good preacher because they think he's not a great preacher. Many people are willing to quit a good job because they think it's not a great job. And if you're always trying to pursue something that isn't what you have, what you'll find is that you'll never be 
happy. Be con- content with what you have and be committed to what uh, uh, to, to the tasks that are at hand. Make changes slowly, especially changes that aren't uh, lifelong commitments. So we looked at the word commitment. And I'll just say this before we move on to point number two here, is that uh, the greatest thing that a mom and dad can do for their children is stick it out and stay together no matter how rough it is. Now, if you're a woman in an abusive situation, I mean you're physically being abused, sexually being abused, emotionally being abused, and it's, it's, it's bad, then you need to get help. And I'm not telling you to stay in an abusive situation. So let's take that extreme off the table for just a moment. And let me just talk about a husband and wife who maybe just don't get along real well, and they have kids together. Can I tell you the worst thing you could do to those kids is pull them in and sit them down and say, well, we fell out of love with each other, and we're just uh, going to separate, and you need to pick which one of us you're going to live with. What are you teaching those children? You're teaching them uh, that uh, uh, you're teaching them the opposite of commitment. You're teaching them to be unfaithful. You're teaching them that when the going gets tough, quit, pack up, and go home. Uh, when I was a Bible college student, I would see kids get discouraged and they would quit college. And many, I had many friends quit college. And listen, I understand how tough it can be. How many of you here uh, uh, graduated uh, from college? Raise your hand if you're a college graduate in the room. Uh, keep your hand up if there was a point where you were discouraged and wanted to quit. Every hand stayed up. What a miracle. You know, um, it's easy to quit, uh, but I would tell my friends the same thing. I would say one day you're going to have a 20-year-old child who's going to call you and say, I want to quit. And if you quit college, how are you going to tell them to stick it out? And they'd get really quiet. And then I would say, four years is a very small percentage of all of the years you'll live if you live a normal life. Stick it out. How many of you would agree that that's solid advice? Hold your hand up if you think that that's solid advice. If your hand's not up, then I would assume you think that's not solid advice. Okay. If it works for college, it works even more for marriage. Boy, your kids need to see you stick it out. They need to see... Uh, that mom and dad could endure a hard time, and boy, that preaches a strong message and gives you a lot of credibility down the road. Number two, let's look at teaching purity of the next generation. Number two, notice the word concern. Concern. Look at verse number eight. Look at verse number eight with me. Uh, we have a little sister, and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? Now, admittedly, when I was a 13-year-old boy reading through my Bible, uh, that, wor- that verse was, seemed very weird to me. Like, what is this talking about, right? I'm 13 years old. I'm raised in this sheltered Christian home, and I'm not allowed to even use that word in that verse. Um, I'm not allowed to even think about that word in that verse, right? And uh, here I am reading through this book, and what is this talking about? Well, listen, uh, let's, let's get past the junior high uh, side of it here, and let's just talk about what this verse means. This girl was prepubescent she's a small child and on their wedding day they're turning and looking at their uh, her little sister and uh, they're saying we have a sister who's young and we have a responsibility to protect her we need to be concerned about her i see so many people who just plow forward with life and they forget about the children behind them they and i'm not even talking about your own children although for the moms and dads in the room that definitely applies some of you in here are single some of you in here don't have kids uh, and listen it can be easy to just think well the next generation will figure it out clearly the next generation hasn't figured it out Clearly, this purity thing has become a struggle for our world. And Satan is preaching his message loud and clear. And Christians, church, it's time that we take this idea of sexual purity serious. And we expect and we demand and we teach the next generation and we show concern over them that they are pure. Take your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter number 7. That's two books to the left. Uh, Proverbs chapter 7 and verse number 6. Um, uh, here we find uh, w- w- one of five characters 
in the book of Proverbs, we find the simple man. And I've gone through and, t- and talked about the five characters in Proverbs several times before, but you have the simple, you have the wise, you have the fool, you have the scorner, and you have the prudent, and uh, they all play a role in the book. And so Solomon is the wise man, the prudent man, writing the book for his son Rehoboam, and he's going to describe an incident that he witnessed. Look at Proverbs 7, verse number 6. The Bible says, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and behold, among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding. Now, comment here before we move on. A marker of a young man, a young woman that is simple is that they're innocent. They do not know. They do not know. My children asked me the other day on the way to school, they said, Dad, what is drugs? What is drugs? You know why? Because they're youth and they're void of understanding, and they're hungry for somebody to tell them. By the way, simple ones are also curious about sin. They're curious about sin. Now, um, we live in a world that is highly sexually charged, very sexually charged. I know you ladies don't think like this because you're wired a little bit different than us men, and I'm speaking to Christian women I get that there are women in this world that consume pornography, and unfortunately that's become a reality. But to uh, Christian women who stay in their Christian world, uh, that might seem odd. Uh, Can I just tell you what us men notice every time we walk through the mall? We notice naked women hanging in the windows. Now, they're not totally nude, but they're, they're, they're flaunted around in their underwear. And it isn't just Victoria's Secret anymore. It's every couple of stores. How many men in here know what I'm talking about? Okay? You know why this world is sexually charged? Have you ever tried to go shopping for a four, five, or six-year-old girl at a department store and seen what they're selling? They're trying to turn these little girls into tramps. They're trying to turn them into sex objects at a young age. This is the reality of the world we live in. And children have a curiosity about sin. And when they see sin and they don't know what it is, boy, they want to explore. Let's keep reading. Look down at verse 8. Passing through the street near her corner. So we have a young man, a youth, a simple man, uh, uh, probably a teenage boy who is curious about sexuality and no one has taught him, no one has helped guided him. There is no prudent man to guide him into wisdom. And so here he is on his own walking down a street uh, in a bad part of town with a young lady who is a prostitute, a woman of the night, and he's going forth not to sleep with her, but he's going forth to explore. Look at verse 9. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. And for sake of time, we'll not read on down, but she throws her arms around him and she kisses him and she provokes him and she tempts him and uh, 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 plays, lays out cover for him and takes him into her bedroom and steals away his virginity. Why? Because there was not someone there to protect him. There was not someone there to teach him. I'm going to tell you right now that the youth today, the reason why they fall into sexual impurity is because they do not have enough adults who are willing to take them under their wing, take them under their arm, and guide them, and show them, and teach them, and talk to them. If you're a mom and dad in the room today, don't you bury your head in the sand about this topic. Don't you just think that because your children are growing up in a Christian home and going to a Christian church that somehow they're going to make it to the wedding altar pure. My friend, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Your children need to learn about the facts of life from you. Men, you sit your boys down and you talk to them about it. Women, you sit your little girls down and you talk to them about it. And if you're in a single parent situation, then you get some advice on how to handle that with the other gender. But these things need to be talked about by the parents. And um, I've already had the conversation with Matthew. And I told Matthew, I said, if you have any 
questions on this topic. You don't go to your friends. You don't go to the TV. You come talk to me. I will help guide you through this process. It's very important. It's highly important. And I'd say to you in here this uh, uh, more or this evening, rather, if you are not a parent yet, or you probably won't be a parent, and then you do your part to generically show concern over the next generation. How can you do that? Get involved in a Sunday school class and get involved with the children in our church and generically encourage them and push them and help them toward purity. Our church is going to be taking a trip to New England Baptist teen camp and we'll be taking our teenagers uh, there and no doubt there will be sermons about purity that will be preached to those teens. You say, well, how could I be involved? Sign up. Take a week off of work if you're young enough and able to do this and go with us and be a counselor on that trip. You don't have to say a word, but you can help accommodate uh, the, the trip so that those teenagers can hear that sermon. We all must do something. We all must show concern. My friend, the purity ship in America is taking on water and the ship is going down. And America's youth are anything but pure. They're impure and it's being celebrated. I look at our LGBT community that's gotten such a loud voice and I'm left to scratch my head as a Baptist preacher who believes the Bible and ask myself, how did we get to this point I remember that when a man and a woman, when I was just an eight, nine-year-old boy, I can remember when a man and a woman would sleep together outside of marriage and how that was shamed by the culture, at least shamed within the church culture. You back up 50 years and it was shamed even more. And today we have uh, uh, men who get in bed together and women who get in bed together. And uh, now I, as a Baptist pastor, am expected by the culture to stand up here and celebrate it. I won't do it, but that's the expectation by the culture. How did we get this far? Somewhere, American Christians buried their head in the sand and said, I'm not going to say anything because this is taboo. And my friend, our taboo attitude has destroyed generation after generation. We need to show great concern. Great concern. Listen, you teach abstinence to your children and those around you to the wedding altar because that is God's plan. I don't say this to be unkind. I don't say this to be mean or nasty or condescending. If you didn't behave this way before you got married, I'm not throwing a single stone your direction. But the Bible is crystal clear that premarital sex is a sin is a sin. And listen, if you had sex before you got married with your spouse and uh, you have kids now and your kids one day may ask you about that when you get they get older, especially if you're teaching them abstinence, then you're, you be honest with them and you tell them the truth. But you tell them that you made mistakes and you did it with regret and you encourage them to stay pure and you be a salesman and you sell that to them and you help them. We need folks who will be like this couple in Song of Solomon and turn around and look at baby sister and say, we need to be concerned about her and we need to help her be protected from the dirty, perverted Solomons of the world. So we see number two, concern. Notice number three, the word comparison. The word comparison. Look at verse number nine. Um, Now, by the way, if you're marking who is speaking when... Um, you have, and this is how I have it marked in my notes, the, bride, the groom is speaking to his bride in verses 6 and 7. Uh, the bride is speaking to her groom in verse 8. And the groom is speaking back to his bride in verse 9. So in verse 8, she says, we have a little sister, and uh, talks about that. Verse 9, he's going to talk about what they're going to do to protect her. Look here, it says, if she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Notice two words in this verse. Notice the word wall and notice the word door. Notice the word wall and notice the word door. And so the word comparison. Um, Take your Bibles over to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. We'll read those verses in just a minute. I'm going to, I have some comments to add before, but just get uh, over there for me and get ready. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 21, there are two approaches that young folks take 
uh, toward their sexuality prior to marriage. Some people are a wall. And listen, that's what we're after. We want walls. What is a wall? A wall is something that's shut up and sealed. And if you're not married here uh, this evening, let me encourage you to be celibate. Be a wall. Uh, In the Old Testament, if they wanted to guard or protect something, they would put a wall around it. And that would keep the enemy out. And so uh, we're to put a wall up around the purity of our children. And so some folks are a wall. Other people are a door, meaning they're way more open to the idea of being loose with their sexuality. And so here he says, listen, when this young lady gets a little bit older, if she's a wall, then we're going to build a palace on top of her. and We're going to rejoice over her attitude of, uh, of abstinence. If she be a door, then we're going to put cedar around that door to shut that door up. And so we're going to do whatever it takes. Now, um, I have noticed that when children hit puberty and uh, boys are turning into men, they go through a very awkward stage where their voice begins to crack and they get pimples all over their face, right? And They just sit and stare at girls, right, awkwardly. And um, I went through that stage, and most of the men in here, you probably don't remember that, but you probably went through that stage too. And uh, girls blossom into women. And uh, I see, um, especially with the women folk, I've noticed this my whole life. I noticed it when I was a teenager, and I still observe it today. Uh, But when when girls blossom into womanhood, uh, they generally take one of two approaches. They either embrace that and are excited about that, and want to show off their new figure that they have gotten, or they will cover up and wear baggy clothing and cover from the collarbone down to the ankle. One is more inclined to be a wall, and one is more inclined to be a door. And uh, listen, we as adults need to celebrate those who want to be a wall. But those that want to be a door, we need to be right there to say, listen, no, I know that you're excited about uh, what the future has for you, but you have a whole lifetime of being married to express yourself sexually to your spouse. Right now, let's be pure. Right now, let's be careful. Right now, let's put a wall up and let's seal off those temptations, those doors. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look at verse number 21. The Bible says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Look at verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, and follow, here's what we're to teach our teenage boys and girls, and our college boys and girls, and our unmarried folk to do. Follow righteousness, and faith, and charity, and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. A pure heart. Notice that purity begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. But this is something... That we teach. I remember when I was like 15 or 16, I was sitting in Bible class in a Christian school, and I was sitting next to a girl I had a crush on. Angela, cover up ears for a minute, amen. Don't get jealous, okay? This was before I knew you, amen. And I'm sitting next to this girl I had a crush on in Bible class, and um, uh, she's actually a pastor's wife today. Uh, from what, as far as I know, but um, uh, there she was, and there I was, and you know, I just happened to find my seat right next to hers, and uh, I was uh, interested in her, and she was interested in me. We never uh, declared ourselves as boyfriend or girlfriend, but we sure seemed to find each other whenever we were on a youth activity, or uh, uh, we're sitting at the lunch table, or sitting in class, or in church. Uh, we didn't sit next to each other in church. Our parents wouldn't allow that, but we sure seemed to look at each other a lot in church. Amen? I'd look over, and she'd, she'd be staring at me, or she'd look over, and I'd be staring at her. And so here I am, attracted to this young lady, and I'm uh, sitting next to her in Bible class, and my t- teacher is up teaching Bible class and he reads this verse, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust, flee youthful lust. And he asked a question. He said, what does it mean to flee? He said, are we to flirt with youthful lust or are we to flee from youthful lust? And um, I wanted to get up at that moment and go sit in a different chair in the room. And he said uh, to another boy in our class named David, he said, show me what it means to flee. 
And David had a flair for the dramatic. And so David hopped up out of his chair and knocked everything off his desk and went running out of the room and ran down the hall and ran out the building and ran around the building and came back in a different door and ran in the room and hopped down in the seat. And the teacher said, well, that was a little over the top. But yes, that makes the point. Run away from. Run away from. Listen, we need to teach our youth not to put themselves in a place where they are tempted. Let me just say to the parents in the room this evening, don't you stir up love. I've seen moms and dads, they, oh, that's so cute. Look at my eight-year-old boy with that eight-year-old girl. Oh, man, they're sitting next to each other. I think they like each other. Isn't that just cute? Let's get a picture and put that on Facebook. I think they're going to get married one day. Let's just draw up the papers now and... And uh, let's just sign a contract and all the jokes that are made and that kind of thing. Listen, uh, let's not stir up love. Um, and, and listen, I'm going to state some opinion right here, so I'll be careful to state it as opinion. I don't think you should let your teenagers date. I just don't. Dating is a car that takes us to marriage. What, what, do, what business do you have getting in the car if you can't arrive at the destination? Now, if you're 17, 18 years old and you think your uh, your parents and pastor believe you're at a place where you're, you, you can get married a year or two after that and you find interest in someone, hey, that's great. But can I just tell you my life experience, most uh, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old romances, they, they, they just end in a bad way with feelings being hurt. How many here dated as a teenager and ended up not marrying the person you dated? Would you hold up your hand? All right? Okay, uh, A couple of you here, you dated in, in high school, and that's the person you're married to. Hey, it worked out for you. That's great. But can I tell you, in most cases, it doesn't work out. And I see a lot of teenagers lose their virginity because they start dating in their youth, and they're not fleeing from youthful lust. They're flirting with it. They're flirting with it. And we need adults who will lovingly and kindly and carefully teach our youth not to be adored, but to be a wall, to be a wall. Notice uh, number uh, four. Notice clean mentors. Clean mentors. Go back to Song of Solomon, chapter 8, and look at verse number 10. You all okay this evening? Amen? Keep bringing it. I'm, I'm bringing the heat tonight. Look at verse number 10. And listen, I know this message may be popular in this room it's not popular outside of this room, but boy, I sure believe it's true, and I believe it's correct, and I believe it needs to be taught. Um, uh, I, listen, I, when we're giving up condoms on high school campuses, what are we telling kids? Go ahead, sleep around, right? Hey, we know you're going to sleep with each other, so we might as well just enable you to do it. That's like saying to a drug addict, hey, I know you're going to shoot up, so here's some clean needles. Make sure you don't get hepatitis in the process. Uh, so we're, we're going to give them? Listen, no. That's not proper. And uh, look, I'm just going to go ahead and go here. I'm chasing a rabbit for a minute, but I, I think it's a good place to do it, and, and I'll, do it, uh, I'll do it on purpose here. Um, do you all know what Planned Parenthood's a after? They're after money. They're a money-making scheme. And um, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is knowledge within Planned Parenthood organization that their goal is to get each girl in there for an abortion three times before they're 30. And there are some school systems in America where Planned Parenthood sends counselors into a school to start working with kindergartners. And by the time those little girls hit puberty, they get them going on the pill at 13 years old. Why are they doing that? Because they know that that irresponsible little teenage girl is going to forget to take her pill and she's going to end up pregnant and going to end up in their center where they're going to get a paycheck out of that young lady getting an abortion. I'm not here to throw a, stone, a single stone at any girl that's gotten an abortion. Most women that have had an abortion live with guilt that I can't even begin to understand. And if that's you, I hurt for you. I'm not here to throw a stone at you. But I will throw a thousand stones at the wicked industry that's setting these girls up. 
Because that's vile and that's satanic. It's awful. And this is what ends up happening when we tell children, hey, you know what? Sex is just like going to the gym and playing basketball. It's physical activity. Have fun. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 that this is the one sin when you commit. You sin against your own body. We need to teach children from a very early age to be careful with this thing. Look at verse number 10. The bride is speaking back to the groom. So the bride speaks in verse 8. The groom speaks in verse 9. The bride speaks in verse 10. She says, I am a wall and my breasts like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. You know what she's saying here? She's saying, God has given me a beautiful body. A beautiful body. But I'm a wall. I'm not a door. I am a wall. I know that I'm beautiful, she's saying. But this body that God has given me is meant for my husband and my husband alone. Boy, I'm just getting all over, all over everything tonight, so I'll get, get on this one too. Why are so many girls running to sex in their teen years? Can I tell you why it is? Because dads are not there to do their job. I look around at our inner cities. I was there today hanging out, hanging door hangers in the neighborhood. I would say 80% of the doors I went to, I could smell marijuana from the porch. As soon as I pulled in the neighborhood, the odor came into my car. And I'm not here to talk about marijuana, but just the state of the inner cities. And I have had enough experience working with inner city families to know that most dads are not part of the picture. Can I say, though, that in the suburban neighborhoods, that story is becoming true as well. You're a dad and you have a little girl here today. Can I just tell you, be a part of her life. Love on her. Show her what it means to be respected. Show her what self-worth is. Show her that self-worth is not self-esteem. Self-esteem is building one's self up. That's pride. That's sinful. Self-worth is our value we find through the Lord Jesus Christ. Love on your little girl. You have a little girl in here today and you're a dad? Take her out to eat. Take her on dates. Love on her. Shower her with love. She turns 14, 15 years old. You have mom put a pretty dress on her. And you get dressed up in a nice uh, uh, a suit and you take her to a fancy restaurant and you put a purity ring on her finger. And you talk to her about the importance of purity. I look around our world today and what Satan has done a great job of doing is driving the man out of the home. And those little girls grow up and they're starving for male love. And they find it in some boy who says, if you love me, if you love me and you want me to love you, sleep with me. And they hop in the sack looking for that love. And they're looking in all the wrong places because dad's not there to give it to them. You know what that comes back to? That comes back to point number one. That comes back to commitment. Commitment. Be committed. Hey, I am pro-choice. But I believe the choice should be made before you get in bed with someone. If you're not, respond, if you're not ready to have a baby, then you're not ready to do the act that produces the baby. You be thoughtful and careful about that. Clean mentors. Clean mentors. She's saying here, I am a wall. Now, uh, you have a pastor who's very transparent. And if I have a bad day, I'll generally get up here and tell you. Like I had a bad day today a little bit, right? I drove a lot today and, you know, I had uh, a, a very frustrating day in traffic. I did. And on my way into church this evening, my kids were in the back seat, hooping and hollering and having a good time. And I could feel my blood pressure going up and up and up. And finally I just had to say, stop it! Knock it off! Be quiet! No more! I had to preach in a few minutes. And I am not in a good spirit. I'm a pretty transparent guy, all right? And, um, and, and, and I think that's helpful 
to you all because you see that I'm a human like you are. Some pastors are like, I am perfect and you need to be like me. Okay, I'm not that kind of guy or I'm not that kind of preacher. And other pastors that way, that's their prerogative, that's fine. I'm not like that. But can I tell you that uh, some pastors are so transparent, they'll just open up and say, yeah, I had an affair on my wife years ago. And there are people who will flock to a church like that. There's a pastor like that down in Texas. He's got a massive church. And uh, early on in his marriage, he cheated on his wife. And um, they were able to put their marriage back together, and, and he openly shares that. And folks who have an affair or uh, commit adultery go running to him for help. Praise God for that. And, and listen, I'm not at all putting him down for being open about that. But can I tell you what we need? What we need are some mentors who can look at a child in the eye and say, I've never once done that. You follow my example. And so if you're here this evening and you have your sexual purity intact, keep it intact. Because we need to point to people like you. We need to be able to point to people who can stand up and say, I am a wall. With that said, I don't say this to brag, and I don't say this to um, uh, put myself on a pedestal, because I believe if many of you had grown up in my circumstances, you'd be able to make the same claim. I've only kissed one woman in my life, in my life and she's sitting right there. I've only slept with one woman in my life, and she's sitting right there. I don't know what it's like to be romantic with anybody but one woman. And praise the Lord for that. And if you've got children in your home, you can point to Pastor Lejeune and say, if he can do it, you can do it. If he can do it, you can do it. We need clean mentors. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 6. Proverbs chapter number 22. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, a lot of focus gets put on the second half of that verse, and we're not going to spend any time on that tonight. Look at the beginning of the verse again. Train up a child in the way he should go. This is just a little bit of um, uh, life advice, if I could offer some life advice. From the time a child is born until they turn about the age of nine, your job is to teach the child. So if you're taking notes tonight and you think this would be a help to you, just jot this down. Birth to nine, write the word teach. Birth dash nine, write the word teach. Now you're going to teach and train from zero to 18 and really even on some level beyond. If you're a grandparent in here, this would be good advice for you to take down. Birth to nine, you're going to do more teaching than training. What do I mean? You're going to teach them right from wrong. You're going to teach them the Bible. You're going to teach them how to make a bed. You're going to teach them how to ride a bicycle. You're going to teach them a work ethic. You're going to teach them honesty. You're going to teach them integrity. You're going to teach them these things. Once that child turns 9 or 10 years old, and you can write 9 to 18, you switch modes and you go from teaching to training. Teaching to training. Both of my kids are at an age right now, they're very early on in this process, where I'm not really doing any more teaching, or I'm, I'm doing very little teaching, I'll say. I'm doing quite a bit of training. They now know right from wrong. They've been taught these things. They know the stories of the Bible. They know how to make their bed. For the most part, they have a work ethic. For the most part, they do what they're told when they're told to do it. What is my duty now? My duty is to monitor their behavior and their attitude, their heart's attitude. And it's to train them. Who, uh, what type of person trains? You, you've heard of trainers, trainers. A coach is a trainer. Really, at this point, I am a life coach for Matthew and April. Now, sometimes I have to pull out corporal punishment and I have to punish them and I have to go back to teaching mode and, hey, listen, we, we're having a breakdown in what we know here. Let's go back and let's reteach you what you clearly have forgotten, those habits that have broken down, but we're training, we're training. And when it comes to purity, we are training, we are training. Number five, notice the word contrast, contrast. Look at verse number 11 and 12 of Song of Solomon. Now, uh, verse number 11 and 12 go back to describing 
uh, Solomon here. Now, uh, not everyone in the room or everyone who's going to watch this online agrees with my assessment that Solomon's a bad guy, and I understand that, and I'm gracious toward you. I hope you're gracious toward me. Amen. Uh, But just indulge me for a minute with that idea in mind that Solomon is uh, the bad guy here. Look at verse 11. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He let out the vineyard unto keepers, every one for the fruit thereof. Uh, was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. And so uh, I don't totally understand everything uh, that's meant by this, but what I do think she's doing is turning around to the palace and talking back to Solomon on her wedding day. And she's contrasting herself to Solomon. She's saying, Solomon, you're on your way to having a thousand fields, And I am my own field. And uh, Solomon, you're a man who wants a thousand wives, and that's impure. And I'm a man that wants, I'm a woman that wants one husband. And I want that purity. And listen, it's easy today for us to point at the brokenness of the world and use that as a selling point to our children. Turn over to 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2, and look at verse number 15. Tonight, really, this Bible study is more like a fire hydrant coming at you than a water hose. I'm throwing a lot out. And maybe if you're first time hearing me lay some of these uh, concepts or precepts out, you go back and listen to this online two or three times. Because I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to give you yet another really good um, uh, parental nugget to grab hold of here in just a moment. Look at verse 15, and let's read down through verse 17. Love not the world, and and think of this in context of the young lady and Solomon, her being pure and him being impure. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We're told here not to love the world. Not to love the world. Now, contrast. Below that word contrast on your outline, write down these two words. Write down entertain and expose. Entertain and expose. Parents, you should never use, uh, you should never use entertainment to teach your children sin. You should never use entertainment to teach your children sin, but you should expose your children to sin. By the time I was 18, I knew what every single curse word was. By the time I was 18, I had a pretty good idea of what marijuana and uh, other drugs were. I had a pretty good idea of what alcoholism was. You know where I had learned those things? Working on a bus route with my dad. You know what was happening there? I was being exposed to sin. I was not being entertained by sin. I see parents that want to shelter their children from knowing right from or knowing sin at all. Listen, that child turns 18. If that child doesn't know what sin is, they are going to leave your roof and they are going to find out and they're probably going to hurt themselves in the process. You need to expose your children to sin. But you don't need to use Hollywood or, or the music industry to do it. Don't you entertain, well, I see parents say, well, well, I, you know, I, they're going to learn it anyway, so I might as well watch a movie with some objectionable things in it because, hey, you know what, it's better I'm sitting here and they're watching it. Listen, don't use sin and, and, and a, a, a filthy entertainment to teach your children sin. You're setting them up with bad habits. I'm so thankful that as a young man, my dad was able to sit me down and say to me, Richard... Don't you ever, ever, ever drink a a sip of alcohol. You know all those families that we visit on the bus route that are broken homes? You remember all those homes that have beer cans laying all over the porch and a a, a whiskey flask that's thrown out in their front yard? And uh, you know the, the, the squalor they live in? And you know the shame their family has to deal with? If you go drinking alcohol, you very well may end up just like them. 
My eyes got real big as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old boy, and I said, I get it, Dad. And you know what? I've never been tempted to take a sip of alcohol. Now, when it comes to purity, you teach the next, you show the next generation what happens when two people uh, get in bed together and they're not married. You show them what that outcome is. You show them the divorce rate in America. You show them the fatherless homes. You show them the STDs. You talk to them about all these things. And then you show them a couple who's living a marital life that's pure, that has a marriage of 40, 50, 60 years, and then ask them, which one do you want? Boy, that contrast is laid out there. Lastly, lastly, notice the last point in the message here, and notice the word credibility. Look at verse number 13. And this is the groom speaking to his bride. If you're making notes in your Bible here, the uh, bride was speaking down through, uh, from verse 10 through verse 12. The groom speaks in verse 13. Look here. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice. Cause me to hear it. He's saying here, he's saying here, Uh, To his bride, he's saying, I want everyone to believe what I'm saying is credible and is true. And for the sake of the uh, time, we're not going to go through the verses that are up there on on the screen or on your outline there. Proverbs 2, 1, 3, 1, 4, 1, 5, 1, 6, 1, and 7, 1. But what those verses say is, my son, hearken unto my voice. My son, hearken unto my voice. My son, uh, heed to my commandments. And uh, uh, let uh, my words be uh, the, the, the law of your heart. And those, uh, that's what those verses say. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14 with me. Song of Solomon 8, 14. This is the last verse of the book. It says, And here they're going off on their honeymoon. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like a roe, or to a young heart, upon the mountains of spice. And notice those words, make haste. They're getting in their rickety old farm wagon and they're leaving. And I'll make one more point and we'll be done here. You know, um, Solomon offered that bridal car. Remember? Held up by 70 strong men. Gold and silver and, and velvet. And I think the harem said that the center of it was paved with love. How corny is that? Uh, you know, that, that bridal car was impressive. But I think that this farm girl climbs in this broken down chariot with her man, this farm chariot, and says, I'd rather live with this than to live in that palace with him. And um, I think American Christians are teaching their children that marrying someone who can give them money is more important than marrying someone who will give them morality. My friends, I would rather be poor and have my morals intact than be rich and be immoral. You make sure that, you make sure that you're doing your part to teach purity to the next generation. How do you teach that purity? Well, first model it. Model it. Whether you're married or unmarried, we're all called to purity. Amen? We're all called to purity. And um, uh, model it and then teach it. And then help us to get the next generation to learn it. I sure don't want those kids in our youth group or those kids upstairs in our master clubs to turn around at 18, 19, 20 years old and move in and start living with someone and, uh, and hurt their lives like that. Let's do our part to help them. Let's do our part to teach them.